Hi, I'm Michelle. Hi, I'm Tara. Welcome to our podcast, Books and Beyond. On this episode, we spoke with journalist Jane Borges, who's written a book called Bombay Balchow. The book is about a small Catholic neighborhood in South Bombay. It's called Cavell. And I can't believe I had never heard of it because I grew up five minutes away from this neighborhood. I connected with Jane on so many different levels, you know, like just like her, I was also born and brought up in the Gulf and then I moved to Bombay. So, you know, I love how her book is about Catholics and about this Goan and Mangalorean community because I could relate so much. I understand that. Another thing that we learned about Jane is how she actually wrote a book with veteran journalist S. Hussain Zaidi when she was in her early 20s and that book is called Mafia Queens of Mumbai. And one of the stories from the book, uh, the story of Gangu Bai, who is his brothel queen, is now being adapted by Sanjay Leela Bhansali. And Alia Bhatt is playing the role. I it's mean, crazy. <laughs> I love Alia Bhatt's acting. Can't wait. So on this episode, we found out, you know, how she did her research for both these books, you know, uh, what her writing process is like. She's a journalist. So how does she, you know, manage writing books and also reporting at the same time? And we just loved all her answers and we're sure you will too. Welcome to our podcast, Books and Beyond. And we are speaking to Jane Borges. She is the author of uh, Bombay Balchao, a fantastic novel about a Catholic community in Bombay. She has also co-authored Mafia Queens of Mumbai with S. Hussain Zaidi, and she's a journalist for Midday. Welcome, Jane. Welcome. Hi. Hi, Michelle. Hi, Tara. Thank you for having me here. Yeah, thank you so much for being on the show. So, Jane, let's begin with your book, Bombay Balchao. So, how did the idea of the book come to you? And we know that it chronicles and tells us about a small Catholic neighborhood in South Bombay that's called Cavell. So, how did the idea of, you know, telling stories about this neighborhood come to you? So, you know, I'm a resident of Cavell and um, it's a lovely and actually very, very tiny neighborhood in South Bombay. Sandwiched somewhere between uh, two markets, Chira Bazaar and Kalba Devi. Um, I moved to this uh, neighborhood somewhere in 2003. And for the longest time, I didn't think too much about it because, um, you know, it was just one tiny compound where I lived and a church with very, very few parishioners. I didn't see anything great or fascinating about this neighborhood. Until I started researching for Mafia Queen several years later. And um, while I was at the Asiatic Library, I remember coming across a small para on Cavell by the late historian Jerson Jose de Cuna. He's also a very well-known medical practitioner uh, in the 19th century. It was a book about Bombay. He had written a history, basically, you know, writing about the history of or the origin of the city. And he mentioned very sparingly about Cavell, but speaks about how this used to once be the village of the Kohli's. And that is how the name Cavell is likely to have come, you know, Kolvars and then Cavell. Um, several years later, through my research, learned that Cavell didn't really get its name from Kohli's because the Kohli's lived closer to the sea and Cavell is further away. Oh, that's interesting. Yes. But that is something that, uh, you know, my research threw um, at me. But it fascinated me that something as insignificant as this neighborhood would find mention in a historian's document on the city. He also went on to talk about how it was the largest Roman Catholic hamlet in the 18th century in Bombay. Now, that was massive because 
we were a parish of what 200 250 people i was wondering how you know a street as busy as this because it is in between two market um, areas could um, have such a fascinating history over a period of time while interacting with neighbors i learned that in my building alone we had three mayors so on the ground floor we had one dr joseph colasso on the first floor dr joseph alban de souza and then later his son joseph leon de souza who all were mayors in say somewhere in the mid 20th century now that was significant because we were living in a building that had a living history to it and none of us were aware um i think the advantage for me was that i was an outsider and uh, moved in quite late here so i could see it from a perspective of uh, being interested in the community so yeah so tell us uh, why you felt you were an outsider in this community well because i came here in 2003 when um um and when i came here i realized that um, a lot of families here had lived here for centuries so they might have been like third or fourth generation uh, residents of kavel and um, i was really new to this place <laughs> so where did you come from so my parents are from mumbai but uh, i moved to muskat in oman when i was a year old and i came back only when i was 16 so till then you know mumbai was just a place where you came for summer vacations and we didn't really have a house in kavel until my parents bought it say in the late 90s and uh, again it was such a run down home you know because it was uh, my my mother found to be very fascinating and i thought i should really thank my mum and dad for having uh, thought of investing in such property but as kids you didn't see anything fa- fascinating in a old home so you know we never really went to kavel and spent our summer holidays there we we usually be with our aunts or with our cousins so i i never really connected in with the place in any way and when i went to kavel and lived there even the residents were uh, unable to connect with me because they had lived with their neighbors for so many years and they already had developed connections everyone in some way was related to the other because they had intermarried so someone was somebody's cousin someone was somebody's nephew so it it just felt like you know you came it took some time for for them to accept somebody who was not like them yeah. or who did not belong you know to um, their community and it also took a lot of time for us to feel yeah. belonged and so um, i i can totally relate because hmm. like i was you know born and brought up in bahrain and whenever i used to come down here for vacations like i couldn't relate with anybody you know so i can understand where you're coming from right and it's interesting i mean i grew up uh, in south bombay uh, my entire life and i had no idea that this community ever existed you would even not know even now if you had to come to dr vegas street and um, the fascinating way in which i relay the stories it might just not seem like the same place that you talk about but that is what i was trying to tell through the story which is why i go back 70 years in time uh, to tell you what this place must have been like because i did speak to a lot of older residents there to get a semblance of how kavel was like say in the early 1900s before it evolved into what it has become now So now it is just you know you have you have like pockets very dispersed a uh, population in one lane so it's just one long street which is called Dr Vegas Street and that is named after Dr Gabriel Vegas I don't know if you know of Dr Gabriel no, Vegas No we don't So Dr Gabriel Vegas was uh, the first Indian Christian president of Bombay Municipal Corporation and he is said to have lived in Kavel at some point in time or grew up in Kavel 
he was the man who was responsible for um, saving the city from the plague of 1896-97. Uh, he personally inoculated over 18,000 uh, residents wow. with the Hafkin serum. And uh, his statue is still there at Metro. If you see, there's a Dr. Vegas statue. Oh, I, I'll, street, I'll look out for it. Yeah, yeah the street is named after Dr. Vegas. His father's tombstone is still in our church in Our Lady of Health, Kavel, the church where uh, we go to. So there is a very strong connection uh, of uh, the people who were very important or significant to the city's history with Kavel. Same with Dr. Jason Dakuna, because I would later learn that he also lived in Kavel at some point in time, which is why it interested him enough to write about it in a book on the origins of Bombay. So uh, we are really glad that you did write the book, you know, but we also read somewhere that it was an abandoned project and, you know, like Sangamitra Biswas actually yeah. convinced you to write it. So Her editor. Just, yeah. Yeah. So we want to know, like, what exactly did she tell you that convinced you, you know, any anecdote? And why did you abandon it? Because I love the fact that you have captured such a rich history. I mean, this is an undiscovered part of Bombay and there's so much that has been written about Bombay. Hmm. So I'll tell you how this novel actually began. Um, I briefly moved to my in 2000 and uh, the end of 2013 after um, this was two years after I had done Mafia Queens of Mumbai and I was really exhausted and burnt out and I wanted to break and I thought why not go back to a city that I'm familiar with but just work for the time being because I was getting a good job there with the newspaper and my father was still there so I moved briefly for two years to Muscat between 2014 to 2015 and um, this is a time when for the first time I started missing Bombay because you know as um, a child who's born and brought up in the Gulf, uh, you are used to a certain kind of lifestyle. And I think uh, Michelle <laughs> exactly. would relate to it yeah. because it's different. Um, it's it's very different. It's um, you're living in luxury and luxury is normal. We normalize <laughs> that kind of luxury in the Gulf. Here you come and you're suddenly um, staffed for everything. You know, luxury is not the norm. <laughs> yeah, luxury is not the norm. And uh, it's not a way of life, at least. You know, it is restricted to, say, the elite totally. in the city. Yeah. And um, so I did feel out of place in Bombay for the longest time. This was until I went back to work in the Gulf and I started missing home terribly. And I realized how much Bombay has now seeped into my veins and it is, it's inseparable and I cannot live anywhere else in the city, uh, in any other city in the world for that matter. And because you become nostalgic about home and I was homesick, I started writing very, very disconnected stories. And I think my first few stories were about Bombay. And suddenly one day I started writing a short story and I used to put it on my blog. And one day I wrote a short story that was closer to home, like Kavel. And it just felt like something that felt fit into my uh, story about Kavel. And that is how the first story began, really, which was the story, the chapter one. That was the first draft. It's still on my blog. It's called uh, Paper Hearts, but it's a very, very, it's very different I love from... the name. Yes. <laughs> it's very, it's very different from the story that you see in the book, but that was the genesis of this book. And everyone loved that story. It was a very unusual story. So and why did you think of putting it up on your blog? Because I really didn't think it was something that would make it into a book. And that kind, that story, if you go back to it now, it doesn't really, um, it's a very disconnected short story, but that is what inspired me to write. And I wrote and wrote, and I actually wrote five good chapters at the fag end of my stint in Muscat. And I thought I had a brilliant novel. Now, everyone thinks they have a brilliant book in mind because they were all very disconnected short stories. But I had learned, uh, I always knew I wanted to do something with short stories because I didn't have the patience for a novel, which is why you see my book is a lot like 
you know, they're a set of a compilation is, of yeah, short exactly. stories. We were just discussing that. Yeah, like, but, it makes it more consumable. Yes. And because I don't have a patience for, though I love reading books, but I don't think I'm patient enough to write a book like that. It takes so, a lot of stamina yeah. to, <laughs> yeah. you know, see a whole novel through. Yes. And then I came back to Bombay in uh, December 2015 and I made my neighbor read you know, whatever I had written. <laughs> and uh, he, um, uh, his name is Erwin Menezes. He passed away two years ago, but he was the former news editor at Indian Express. And oh. because he he was the one who'd given me a lot of stories about Kavel, I thought he's the right person to kind of, um, you know, show this book to. And when he read it, he was like, rubbish, this is not oh, no. Kavel. <laughs> and it broke my heart because he was so brutal. But I'm glad he was brutally honest because that really made me introspect and think about my stories again. And uh, then midday happened and I shelved the project. I'm like, you know, you don't get once you are completely. And I work for Sunday midday, which is really hectic. So, yeah, I mean, I read your articles every Sunday uh, and you, I mean, you write on a variety of topics. I imagine that's very time consuming. It's time consuming and we do large stories because uh, it's a weekend feature. So long form and I cover books, heritage and urban planning. So you're writing three or two, like three or two big stories in a week, which takes all the time in the world. So I really didn't have the time at that point. Um, and I was just like learning the ropes of uh, my beats because these were new beats to me at that point. So I shelved the project for two good years. But uh, incidentally, I was covering books. So, I, you know, I would uh, be part of sometimes they'd um, ask me to come for these panels and, you know, host a book launch or how something of that yeah, sort. Such a cool and that is how it happened, you know, where I was um, uh, part of a panel for a book launch. And um, the literary agent of the author, Anish Chandi, who um, is uh, the founder of Labyrinth Literary Agency, he reached out to me randomly saying, you know, hey, I, um, you know, heard you were at this book launch and I know that I've read Mafia Queens of Mumbai and I'd like to do another book with you. Anish is based out of Delhi and uh, uh, he uh, flew to Mumbai and then we had a meeting and he's like I want you to do something related to mafia and you know I wasn't very interested in the mafia I think I did that because um, it was an interesting project when it came to me and I was working with the Asian Age at that time and uh, Hussein said he said why don't you join and you know because you like storytelling you know it would be interesting to get you on board but, but what I a great project I mean I was. read that you um, that you got that project when you were 24 is that I was, right? I was 21 actually I completed the book when I was 24, which is why I didn't say no. But, you know, I realized after that, what troubles I had put my, the kind of perils that I had put myself into as a 21, 22 year old, you really don't think about where you're getting into and what you're getting into. But I want to know more about that. But I was dealing with a lot of people from the underworld, researching, you know, interviewing them and you don't really think of it until the book comes out and you're like, oh, now I could get into trouble. But it didn't happen, fortunately. It didn't. And uh, and, and we also heard that it's being adapted and we saw Alia Bhatt's look yes, for Gangubai yes. and it's just amazing. Yeah. How does it yeah. feel? It feels nice, definitely. Because um, that story was close to my heart. You know, I, I actually went to Kamatipura, spent a lot of time there uh, before we did find a character like Gangubai in um, for our book. So it was interesting. And I'm so glad, you know, someone like Sanjalila Bansali is adapting that story into a movie. And two very different books. Yes, and exactly. So Anish was not convinced when I told him that, you know, I wanted to do um, a novel which was based on community. And he said, who might be interested in Kavel? Because it's a neighborhood in Bombay. It's already not a very popular neighborhood. Nobody knows about it. And I don't see where this could go. 
but i told him very clearly if this is not happening anish i don't want to do a crime book and i said i had this book i had worked on it 2 years ago but i've shelved it if you want to have a look at it look at it and see if it is interesting i don't think i'm convinced about it but if you are we'll take it forward and he got back to me a week later a week actually within a week and he said we're doing this you know if That's if amazing. it interests me i'm sure it would interest someone else That's amazing you know mm-hmm. and then when weslin came on board it was sangamitra who convinced me to write it in a way that would um make it universal in the sense we started weaving in the real history of kavel because initially i hadn't named the place as kavel it was named uh, it was called something else altogether oh, but um, she says if you're talking about real histories you might as well name it after that and bring in the history so that people are drawn to the idea in the head you know you're you're having to simultaneous conversations and then, one is you about know, they here. can go visit the place yes. and you even have done walking and tours and that is what has happened you know because everyone is so fascinated and I'm, I'm, and i'm so glad because that was the idea of doing the book after a point i realized that i wanted to draw people's attention to kavel because kavel has been documented people have written about kavel cohen historian treza albuquerque has written an entire book where she talks about neighborhoods like kavel sonapur and dabul which are significant south bombay neighborhoods but the residents of kavel have no idea of this place and i was wondering that if it has been documented how best can you make it a universal space for people to be completely entrenched in it and i think nothing like storytelling can do that better So it's interesting Jane how uh, you know you put in the effort to try to make it universal because and you know one thing from the book that I absolutely loved was the humor like you know the goan mangi jokes but then I also wondered like aren't they inside jokes so were you worried that you know any other reader who's outside of the community would they really get the jokes um which is the worry that even anish had because anish is a bombay boy and he settled in delhi now but and he knew because he's from the catholic community he knew that these jokes were very common you know between the goans mangalorians and east indian community but would anyone else be interested and um i said yes they would be interested if you give them context you can't just throw these jokes at them you need to understand why you know every when people talk about the catholics of bombay they you know club them together but um, the catholics are a very diverse you know just like you have catholics and protestants you have the catholics are also very diverse and some of them cannot see eye to eye yeah so i mean i didn't even know that you know there are different uh, factions even within the community and sometimes they have different perceptions of each other and they may not even get along and oh, and for those of you who don't know mangi is mangalorean which i didn't know until i you know became friends with michelle and even though you did give us context about the jokes and all of that as a non uh, member of the community i did connect with them but not in the same way that i think michelle has connected with yeah, them yeah absolutely yeah so i think different people connect differently with the story i remember giving my um a draft to a friend from kerala to read and he said that you know he didn't feel there was a need to get into the history and the back story of the goans and mangalorians uh, why do we need to you can just get into the story but you know fascinatingly even the goans and mangalorians don't know why they cannot see you know eye to eye <laughs> so you um, know why michelle no <laughs> i feel it's so petty you know and uh, uh, the thing is i i first realized that you know there was a problem between the two and my mum would tell me my mum is mangalorean and her mother in law is goan and uh, she told me once that you know i don't think my mother in law was too happy with the match oh, because no. <laughs> you know she was not very happy that her son found a mangalorean daughter in law i've heard she'd that been, so many times she would have been happy if there was a goan there and i thought why because you know 
know they almost speak the same language they make similar kinds of food though mangalorians have a lot of coconut in their uh, <laughs> yeah, curries but uh, that should not be the reason for one to not marry the other <laughs> and um, there could be a back story to this which is why i went back to find context and i reached out to historians i spoke to them and it turns out that mangalorians used to be originally from goa and oh, i um, didn't know that i did mention that in the book uh, yeah you know and the inquisition happened somewhere in the 1500s where the portuguese take over and they forced convert all the locals to oh, yes. um, catholicism so apparently we fled yeah. to mangalore and i think you know some locals didn't mind getting converted but because um, the hinduism was so entrenched they they were offended when they were asked to dress like you know the portuguese that is wear dresses instead of um, uh, your sarees or uh, they were definitely offended when the temples were brought down or uh, you know idols were desecrated so they decided that they don't want to be part of this um, you know little culture and they move out mm-hmm. much to um, i think the goans who stayed back thought um, like it wasn't traitor they, they, they felt like they were traitors who were abandoning them because at this point you know goa was also afflicted with the plague um um and a lot of other diseases were very rampant and um, how could you abandon your own brothers when something is not going right in your own land um the mangalorians on the other th- hand found the goans to be spineless because they refused to act against a bunch of dictators who were trying to dictate how they live in their own land and that stereotype still stays you know um the mangalorians will call the goans to say guards you know and you, you know lazy yeah. and yeah. it just and what goes is the on. name that the goans call the mangalorians the goans the goans just call them shrewd yeah. and cunning oh, yeah. yeah they they find i was the, thinking of you michelle when i was like michelle <laughs> and, is not shrewd okay you know and, and no business minded very you know so they're very calculative very calculative and these are stereotypes that have stayed and i'm thinking how can such stereotypes stay over centuries and i know kids you know like in their 20s who still talk like that so it's problematic that you know um, i know a senior journalist who is in his late 20s who had a post put up on facebook last year where he said the mangalorians abandoned us and i said they abandoned you 400 years ago you can't sit with that all these years of your life that's ridiculous you know and and <laughs> that is the problem you know you need to understand um, where these stories and histories come from and which is why i thought and and we really don't know if that is the connection because nobody has made those connections but when i did speak to historians they said we could only guess that this could be the reason why there is this hatred permanent hatred between the goans and mangalorians it's a speculation that's speculation but we can only assume that this could be one of the reasons why these kind of stereotypes have grown the same with the natives the east indians and the goans the goans come to um, bombay at a time when um, the natives are flourishing the native christians who are also uh, converted by the portuguese and suddenly they feel that their land has been taken over or overrun by goans who are here to take up all the the plum opportunities and the goans are very enterprising when they come in you know they they have all the top jobs as well as the bottom jobs the ayas the bakers the tailors the architects the engineers the teachers everyone is a goan and um, where does this leave the locals the native christians they show their allegiance to the british by naming themselves east indians which is the east india oh. named after the east india company yeah. it has I nothing to do with the context behind yeah, it is, it has nothing thing. to do with uh, East India because they don't come from East India they come I from the western part that, of yeah. India 
um and um, that is how they name themselves east indians um that is to show that so that they could demand the right kind of opportunities for themselves as locals and natives of the land so i love how you uh, you know have woven so much history into the book as well and it just brings the whole community alive for me um and so i wanted to know you know you worked as a journalist you worked um, and also on a non fiction book project so does being a journalist help you in writing fiction in any way definitely because the kind of fiction that i set out to tell was not something that i just imagined from my head um it was a story that had to make sense with something that was real and for that you require some rigor and research and being a journalist allowed that to happen very organically you know i was thinking like a journalist first and then second as a storyteller because i was putting every kind of narrative that i had into perspective giving context that comes when you are a journalist if you are telling a story of a community in a certain time and place you link it with certain bits of history and you'll see that come in every time because i'm trying to talk about 70 years and the different histories of um, or historical events in the city that have shaped the lives of people in kavel so suppose something like the bombay dock explosion for that matter or you have um, the emergency or for that matter something as uh, the real estate boom in mumbai all of that has required some kind of research as to how it shaped uh, something in the context of the real kavel and so that that really did help because i think otherwise it would and as a journalist you know exactly what to look for i have known you know when when you are a writer and especially a novelist or a storyteller you tend to look at you know pour over reams and reams of documents not knowing what you want to look for but as a journalist because you're always short of time you know you're always looking for a certain kind of fact that would fit into your your story and because i'm writing three stories a week i have to do exactly only this much kind of research to fit that into my story so it became very easy to do my research because i knew where to go and look for it how to look for it whom to reach out to because i was connecting i was anyway covering books i was anyway covering heritage and urban planning so i knew which kind of historians to speak with for what and you know how can so it was just very specific so i wouldn't say i invested hours and hours of research because just because i was part of the system it helped me you know connect the dots quicker Yeah, and you seem so well versed with this whole, uh, you know, research process. So one of our favorite characters from the book, Jane, is Mario because he's the king of crosswords. So how did you really uh, pick out, you know, these interesting characters from Cavell? Are they really based on people from Cavell, or are they imaginary? They are inspired. So not just from Cavell, but from different parts of um, neighborhoods around Cavell. Like I said, Dabul, Sonapur, or Kotachiwari, for that matter. All of these characters existed in some shape or form. You know, like. Uh, my close friend Erbil Vanez is uh, was a journalist, and so is Michael. And um, um, there is a, a incident that I write about about how Michael grows a beard because he had written about um, you know a bunch of goons and they were after him and they'd come chasing down looking for him in Kavel. Michael does something very similar. So you know I kind of you know get these little um, you know the way they talk. 
the patua or you know the the typical goan accent or the way their their english is different from say another resident of bombay it came because i lived in a setting like that and i interacted with residents um mario's character you know the fascination or obsession with crosswords again comes from a subject i interviewed for the midday this person called joe albuquer who has been obsessed with crosswords for more than 50 to 60 years wow. in fact wow. double had a crossword club where wow. they'd meet every evening in those days you know you'd wrap up work by 4:35 they'd come home and they would sit with these crosswords till 6:37 in those days you also got a prize of some you know maybe a book or say 10 rupees or 15 rupees for every crossword that you solved so they'd post multiple crosswords in different names at the post office immediately and yeah, then you know they'd win and, the and that really happened so you know mario's character this obsession for crosswords was also something that really came from my neighborhood mm-hmm. same with the fireman you know there was a fireman in my building anil days who passed away in the bomb you know in the explosion so again i linked it all with kavel the the idea was to give you a semblance of characters from this place none of them are real not at least in the book but obviously inspired you know the, the their ideas of life all of that is is inspired from people in my neighborhood so yeah i mean i love that you know um, all your characters in the book even though they're not really inspired by you know things and people that you saw in daily life so um jane since you write fiction and non fiction and also we read that you know your poem was first published when you were 15 no i was 11 i was 11 actually oh okay i yeah. think i read it was 15 yeah i was 11 yeah so um do you still write poetry and do you have any plans of publishing poetry No I'm a terrible poet. <laughs> I've tried but um, you know um, as a kid I loved. I think that was the easiest form to communicate uh, my ideas because rhyme worked well with me and I could easily rhyme you know with words and play with words. I didn't think too much of storytelling then and I used to not read. I was a, I I hated I books. I also read that that you, you came know? to reading much later. Yes and it is so sad because What I think What was the first book that you read and that you loved? <laughs> You know my the first the only book I read as a child was apart from the children's books I've read all the children's books but they were like very uh, easy reads you know your ladybird books and all of that right like not but classics not the classics and i think the first book and the only book i read as a child was nancy drew and one <laughs> detective uh, novel of hers and I, the, i find it very fascinating because then i mean now you're i mean you're so voracious reader and you write about books and you've written books you know it's very fascinating i still my friend really teases me about this but in when i was in class 10 we had we used to have we had a library exam and i used to borrow the books but i would never read them and i would give it back <laughs> to the library and um uh when the library exam came the basically the the teacher would see you know go through the books that you've read and ask you to narrate one of the stories for them i had not read any of the books that i had picked up but then i asked one of my friends to just tell me the story stories in brief of every book from the list that i had because i would borrow the same books that she she borrowed you know a week after and you know in typical fashion when the library professor like you know he asked me to come in you know tell him a story of some book i uh, told him the story like i knew it from adam <laughs> and it was just very and That's he a gave good me skill. he gave yeah. me an a plus and my friend who gave, told me the story got a c and she, she was so offended because she's like that's so unfair and i think i always had a knack to lie or tell not lie i would say but to tell imagine stories. stories in my head or maybe Is you're it, just a great oral storyteller that's also yeah, skill but also maybe. now <laughs> no but yeah. I, i think i was just very imaginative as a child you know i 
could imagine stories at the top of my head and I would tell my mum, you know, it's just one of those things that I loved doing. And then when I got hooked on to books, it just took off from there. It was a different feeling. Same here. Yeah. yeah. Even you came to reading quite late, right? Yeah. So then like we, I used to just borrow books from our library and then, you know, it was Nancy Drew and yeah. Goosebumps, whatever was available. But then later on, I began reading like serious stuff. You know, I'm still very embarrassed about it, but I did read uh, Mills and Boons uh, when I was 16 and I read like two or three novels and that was the first few reads that I had taken. And then I'm guilty like, of reading Sydney Sheldon. As long I'm, as we're reading, guys, I think yeah. it's okay. And then, and then I thought, you know, after a point, the plot just seemed to be the same and it did, it got repetitive and I said I need to keep this book down and read something more sensible so That's what's your I favorite reading um, I can't really say favorites but I do have you know authors that I do enjoy like Chimamanda Adichie one of my favorite we authors. love her I love her yeah. um, everyone loves Half of the Yellow Sun but for some reason I like Purple Hibiscus most it was her first it was her debut novel and I can read it you know, over and over again and not get so bored. So why, why would you say it's your favorite? Is it the Catholic uh, connection? Yes, you know, and, and I just found uh, this whole uh, obsession because I was a church-going Catholic girl. A priest had a very strong influence in my life and I could so relate with the kind of feelings that she was experiencing as a little girl for the priest and for her religion. And it just feel, you know seemed to connect with me most. Which I haven't is why actually, I, I haven't read it, but I've read, read it, it recently. Yes, it's a lovely book. It's a lovely uh, uh, novel. And you yeah. also mentioned Kite Runner in another interview. Oh yeah, Kite Runner. And I think my college years were shaped by Khalil Hosseini. I, I don't think a book has made me cry like Kite Runner has. You know, I have... Yeah, like I, I, I can reread that book like any time. Yeah, yeah, I did. And it, it did, you know, my college years were shaped by works by Khalid Hosseini for that matter or even... I can't remember, but there were so many authors. When I did my master's in literature, I just took off from there. My favorite Latin American author is Mario Vargas Llosa. I think I, I enjoy his. I enjoy his humor. It's it's just so much fun. You should read Aunt Julia and the Scriptwriter. And when you talk about humor, nobody can beat him. He is so funny. He is so funny. Definitely will check it out. Yes, you should. Yeah. So I still find it really fascinating, Jade, at 21, that, you know, you got to work with the veteran journalist, uh, Susan Zedi, um, on this book now that's being adapted into a movie. And I mean, what a great break. So I want to know, you know, how was it working with him? Are there any interesting stories that you remember from that time period? What were you feeling like um, at that point? So when, uh, incidentally, when Hussein approached me, he had read one of my blogs. And again, I used to love writing short stories. And he thought that the story I wrote, you know, was about a sister losing her brother. I, he thought it was, I wrote it in first person. And he came up to me and he said, you know, I'm really sorry for your loss. And I said, no, but that was fiction. And wow. that is what, you know, yeah. and then he started following my work. He was my boss and he was the editor of The Asian Age. And I was really scared of him, you know, because he was this really beefy person and very, very, you know, he, he used to shout in uh, in office, not shout, but, you know, in, you know, if, if something went wrong, you know, that he would pick on you. So I was very scared of Hussain in the beginning. And um, eventually, I think, you know, he kept following the stories that I would write. And one day he came up, you know, he asked me to come to his office and um, to his room. And he asked me if I was interested in researching a book about uh, um, you know, mafia woman. 
and he thought I would be perfect for it because um, it's very difficult to break into a setup which involves women, you know, and, and especially for a male journalist, you know, to have someone like him as, you know, and, and women are very discerning generally. They might be more open to someone younger like me who uh, doesn't. Smart, yeah. Yeah. So he, he thought it would be perfect if I, you know, I, I would be perfect for it. But I actually told him no. I can't do Why? this. Oh, really? Because I was like mafia and you know at that point you have certain ideas of it. And, and you're I 21. Said, I'm yeah. 21 and I'm like no I don't want to do this. I mean it's fine. And and I went and told my mom and she was like yeah yeah you do, shouldn't do all of this. It's okay. And I was like yeah I'm giving up a book but so what. At this point I didn't even know I wanted to write a book. You know I wanted to be a journalist. I wanted to become a political journalist. Change the world wow. with my pen and, <laughs> wow. and all of this. And I'm like why do I write about crime? It doesn't even interest me. But Hussein kept you know, he kept asking, you know, are you considering, are you, you know, considering it's not going to be a bad idea. He eventually even met my mum and told me, you know, you're going to be fine. Your daughter's going to be fine. You should just get her to do this. And it was fun from there. You know, it it required because I was doing my full time job at the Asian age, but my workers were four to one. And I would research in the morning. So I'd meet all my subjects in the morning. And then after that, uh, I would come to work early, maybe say by three o'clock instead of four, four thirty. And then, you know, sit with Hussein, we'd sift all the material that we had because he had already done some kind of research. Um, and we put all our work together. And then I started writing with him and, um, it, it, the relationship changed over a period of time because we were obviously at one point I was very, very, and I used to call him Hussein sir for the longest time. But uh, then we became co-authors. So we, you know, you start looking at each other as people who are going to be contributing to put a book together. So um, that helped me uh, look at him as an equal, not, you know, at work, but outside of it. Yeah and, it's, yeah, and it's really interesting how, you know, he spotted a story on your blog. So we were just reading your blog and we loved the post about, you know, turning 30 because we are soon going to turn 30. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> And we were wondering if you had any plans, like, you know, like how you mentioned in the post, do you have any plans of, you know, what you're going to do next? Like what you're going to write next or explore next? No, you know, <laughs> so... um I do want, if I'm going to tell a story, it has to be something that fits into the kind of stories that I bring to the table with, you know, with my research and paper. It should make a difference. It should not be storytelling for the heck of it. And uh, I personally believe it's the only way you can connect with a reader. You know, if you're going to be talking about uh, love stories, well, there are lots of love stories there. But there has to be context. There has to be um, um, a place where you, play, you know, you tell your story in so that it makes it more um, pleasurable as a story. And it um, it also informs you because as a journalist, you always are looking at informing people. I believe that, uh, you know, with this book also, I've attempted at informing people about something like Cavell. The fact that it, it's been two months since the book released and Cavell as a place has generated so much interest in people, like people from Kerala and Delhi write to me saying, I want to come to this neighborhood to just visit it if it is for wow, real. That's and, and that is, and that I think says a lot because that is what I intended to do with this story. So now, Jane, what we want to do with you is a small rapid fire. Question answer. Um, so we're going to ask you a bunch of questions and if you could just give sure. us your answer. So is it Muscat or Mumbai? Mumbai. Fiction or non-fiction? Fiction. Goans or Mangis? Mangalorians. <laughs> Favorite place to write? My balcony. Thank you so much, Jane, for being a guest on our podcast. I think it was so insightful. I learned so much about the Mangalorean, Goan, Cavell and, you know, your work as a journalist. Thank yeah, you I mean, so much. Yeah, Thank it was you. great fun. Thank you again. Thank you for having me here. Uh.
I really enjoyed this conversation, Tara, because Jane and I have so much in common, and I also enjoyed like you know her process of research, like behind Bombay Balchow. Yeah, she was so rigorous. I mean, she was just so hardworking. She is so hardworking. I also am glad that we spoke to her about uh, her articles because I mentioned it in the interview as well that I religiously read her articles, and it was great getting to meet her in person. I love how we talk to such talented and versatile people. It really is a dream come true, and I'm so excited about our next guest, who is Abhijit Kini. He is a storyteller. He's a graphic novelist. He's an illustrator, and I can't wait to find out how he tells his stories through text and art. Yeah, I've always wanted to talk to a graphic novelist, so I can't wait. I'm sure you guys can't wait too. So stay tuned for our next episode. And please feel free to reach out to us with any feedback that you've got. We are on Insta, Facebook, and Twitter at Bound India. Bye.